Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. It was Ogden Nash, the American poet, who coined the phrase, how odd of God to choose the Jews. The Jews are a chosen people. Who chose them? God did. When did he do that? Well, when he promised Abraham that he would bless his descendants. He promised Abraham that he would give him this land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. Why are the Jews in Israel? Because God gave Israel to the Jews. It all starts with God calling the Jews. Well, Pastor, why did he call the Jews? Why did he call Abraham? Is it because he loves the Jews more than other, more than other people? And the answer to that, of course, is no. Abraham was a sinful pagan. He grew up in an unbelieving and idolatrous society. He came from a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. You know where that is today? Southern Iraq. Why did God choose this man called Abraham? He chose him in order to bless him, and more importantly, that through him, God would bless the world. Abraham was supposed to be a conduit. The Jews are supposed to be a conduit. God chose Israel to be a witness to the pagan world, who the real God is and what he's like and what are his ways. The Jews were called to proclaim the existence of the only true God so that everyone could know about him. The Jews were chosen to reveal the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The Jews were chosen to preserve and then transmit the Bible, God's Word. The Jews were chosen to show faithfulness to this God. The Jews were chosen to experience the blessing of God. The Jews were chosen to reveal the grace and the mercy and the love and the salvation of this God to an unbelieving and lost world. The Jews were chosen by God for lots of different responsibilities, and for the most part, they failed to do it. It was one big epic fall. They failed over and over and over again. In fact, Isaiah says, the great prophet in chapter 65, he says this, God says this, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me to a nation that did not call on my name. I said, here I am, here I am. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good. But you're going to see today, as hopefully you have seen throughout this series on Famous Falls, that God is the one who gives us hope. If it's not for God taking our falls and our failures and bringing us back to him, it's hopeless. God is going to offer to the Jews a way to come back to him. If God, is God finished with Israel? Is he finished with the Jewish people? Psalm 89 gives us the answer. But if his descendants forsake my instructions and fail to obey my regulations, if they do not obey my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod and their disobedience with beating. 
but I will never stop loving him, nor fail to keep my promise to him. No, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back a single word I said. I want us to look at today at what kind of love this God offers his people. And particularly for, you know, as we're going through this, you need to think about, you know, God has made promises to me. He loves me. I've been called. I've been chosen. The Bible says you, you didn't seek God. He chose you before the world was ever made. What does that mean? What does it mean to be chosen of God? Well, I hope today as you see how God chose the Jews and what his plan is for them, that it encourages you for how God calls his people into the church. Now, if you're ever going to understand God's faithfulness to the Jews, you've got to start with the whole idea of covenant, covenant. There were two, there, there are several covenants in the Bible, but two of them are kind of foundational. There are two main covenants that are the backdrop of all the prophetic scriptures regarding Israel and the Jews. And those two covenants are the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. The, the covenant to Abraham and the covenant with David. Think of a covenant as a promise, an agreement, a contract. God made one with Abraham and he made one with David. The first covenant he makes with one man, Abraham, and that's why he's called the father of the Jewish race, because it began, it began with Abraham, called Abram, early on. Genesis chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God made three promises to Abraham. First of all, he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation from your descendants. Secondly, he said, I'm going to bless you. And he goes on to say, I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. The United States has any kind of smarts. It's not going to be on the wrong side of the, of the support of Israel. That's not saying everything that country does is right. What it's saying, though, is that God made a clear promise to people who bless Israel. I will bless them, and I'll curse anybody who goes against you. Three, all people of the earth will be blessed through, the, through Abraham. So through the Jewish race... The world is blessed. Now, of course, in lots of practical ways, that's true. The Jews have had, uh, has blessed the world in the arts and certainly in technology in lots of different ways. But in this context, of course, it's going to be mainly through the Messiah. The Messiah comes through the Jewish people and, of course, the word of God. And then in chapter 13 of Genesis, God adds to this promise to Abraham and he includes the land of Canaan, modern-day Israel, forever, forever, Genesis chapter 13. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, 
all the land that you see, I will give you and your offspring. What's the word? Forever. Why doesn't it belong to the Palestinians? Why shouldn't the Arabs have Canaan? It's because God gave it to the Jews. For how long? Forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Then again in chapter 15 of Genesis, God repeats his covenant with Abraham. He took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he, he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all of these to him, cut them in two, arranged the halves uh, opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. This is the practice of what's called an ancient covenant, a blood covenant. God makes a blood covenant with Abraham. In those days, when two people were making a binding contract, that could not be broken, to give each other their word, they would take an animal, split the animal down the middle, lay it on the ground, cut equally, head cut in half, body cut in half, legs and arms laid on both sides with the blood in the middle. Then they would walk down the middle of the blood saying, if either of us should break our word, let this happen to us, let us be cut apart like this animal. Now, why is God doing all of this? He knows he keeps his promises. He's doing it for Abraham's benefit. Abraham knows when he does this blood covenant what God is saying. He's saying, this is my covenant promises, promise to you, and it will surely happen. I will keep my promises. That's the Abrahamic covenant. The Davidic covenant is a second covenant made to King David. This one is described in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you've gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel. I'll plant them so that they can have a home of their own, no longer to be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your, your throne will be established forever. The second covenant is with King David, and the promise is that David, not only will I protect you and protect the people under your rulership, but your throne will never cease to have a descendant on it and one day, one ruler will come from your lineage that will rule forever. And of course, the gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, are very careful in their genealogies in the opening chapters to show in detail that Jesus is from the line of King David. He's a descendant of King David who one day 
will sit on his throne from Mount Zion when Jesus comes back to earth and he will come back to earth one day after the battle of Armageddon, he will come back to earth and he will rule physically from Mount Zion, from Jerusalem as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and usher in what's called the millennial kingdom. Thousand years, incredible uh, time in the history of mankind. If you wanna know more about the millennial kingdom and all what that's gonna be up, come out tomorrow night. It's our last session in the book of Revelation. I'm gonna describe the millennial kingdom. I'll describe the great white throne judgment which is judgment day when every single human being that's ever been born will stand before God. And then uh, we'll talk about the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, the capital city, what that looks like. So God made his covenant with David. Pause button. Pastor, was any of this promise keeping, any of, this, any of these covenants conditional? Yes. Part of it was. For David, as if those kings do not follow the Lord, though they were raised up to be kings, they will not be blessed in their rulership. For the people, you will be in the land, and God will bless you. But if you seek after other gods, if you do not obey me, he said, I'll drive you out of the land. The land would always be theirs. However, whether they actually lived in it and occupied it was conditional. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he's giving you. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. The Lord will drive you out and the king you set over you to a, a nation unknown to you and your ancestors. There you'll worship other gods, gods of wood and stone. You'll become a thing of horror, a byword, an object of ridicule among all the peoples where the Lord will drive you. Then the Lord will scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other, and there you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your ancestors have known. Among those nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing, and a despising heart. God warned the Jews. He warned the Jews over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. If you serve idols, if you don't listen to what I have told you that you need to live by, I will drive you out of this land. I'll scatter you. But God always promised to bring them back. Zechariah. Chapter 8, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I'll bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. So God made promise to Abraham. He made promise to David. And even though they failed him, he keeps his side of the bargain. 
And that's really the theme of the Jews. Whenever you think of the Jews, this is what you should think of. God keeps his promises. Is God done with the Jews? Nope. Is he done with Israel yet? Nope. Because he called them. Because God will keep his promises. Are they in the land? Yeah, they're back in the land. Have they followed God's Messiah and accepted God's Messiah? No, not for the most part. There are some, but the vast majority of Jews do not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They acknowledge him as a great rabbi, but they don't believe he's their Messiah. Why? Well, Romans 11 tells us it's because they're spiritually blind, partially. Not all Jews, but most. Here's the verse, chapter 11. For I I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins." The scriptures are describing there a partial blindness. The word for blindness in the New Testament is also translated hardening, resistant. In fact, most of the many translations use hardening instead. And God is saying that the Jews in part, not all of them, but in part, will be resistant, will be hardened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Until when? Until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. What's that talking about, Pastor? The fullness of the Gentiles is going on right now. Most of the followers of Jesus Christ are Gentiles, non-Jews. The church started off Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, mostly all Jewish. All the apostles, all the disciples were Jewish. But as they spread out to preach the gospel to the nations, what happened? Gentiles came into the church, and now we're in the time of the Gentiles, from Pentecost onward, we're in the time of the Gentiles, until when? When will the fullness of the Gentiles occur? Answer, at the rapture. What's the rapture, pastor? You go home, check it out, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Talks about those who are asleep in Christ, those who have previously died, church, the church, not Old Testament saints, the church that have died. One day when Jesus comes back invisibly to the world, at Armageddon, he comes back visibly. But he first comes back invisibly for his church, for the rapture. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ, there, right now, if you die and you're a believer, your spirit, your soul goes to be with Christ. Not you're, You haven't received your uh, glorified bodies. When the rapture occurs, your body will be resurrected and, and you will be reunited, body and spirit, and given a glorified body for heaven. But if you're alive on the earth and you're a believer, you are transported in the air, it says, to meet the Lord in the air. And you're glorified or transformed in the air. That's the rapture. That's when the fullness of the Gentiles occurs. The church is complete. And then what happens? Seven-year period of tribulation. 
a one-world ruler, the Antichrist comes to power. Listen, he's a man of peace. Look for a man of peace. He's a man of peace. He solves the Middle East problem, makes a peace treaty with Israel. They put down their defenses. They trust him, signs a peace treaty with them for the first three and a half years. Lots of prosperity going on in the world. Lots of prosperity. Good times. Peace. But halfway through that tribulation period, even though there's some judgments coming down from heaven, he breaks his peace treaty with Israel. He turns his guns on them. He makes a, he makes a declaration that everyone has to worship him as God. If you don't worship him as God and take his mark, you can't buy or sell. There's religion, there's, there's a one world religion in the first three and a half years led by the false prophet, some worldwide religious leader. But the second three and a half years, there's no need for religion because the Antichrist is the religion. He's God. There's a spiritual blindness on Israel right now because we're in the time of the Gentiles. But when Christ comes back in the rapture, that time is over. It's complete. The church is complete. And now, now it's ready for the fullness, really, of Israel. And God is going to complete his promise to the Jews. Why? Because it says in Romans, the calling of God is what? Irrevocable. God is faithful. He remains faithful. He never takes it back. You can't alter the outcomes. Nothing, nothing, nothing can prevent Israel from being restored or reconciled and brought back to God. Unfortunately, it's going to take great tribulation for the Jews. The Antichrist is going to chase them. They're going to go into the wilderness. They're going to be divinely protected for a time. And then two-thirds are actually going to meet their destruction. And God will keep a third of the population. And those people will mourn on the one whom they pierced. But they will come trembling to Christ in the last days. One of the sweetest and most profound pictures of all of this of what God's going to do with the Jews in the end times comes through the book of Hosea. Hosea is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. It just amazes me as it depicts the love of God and how much God will humble himself to prove to us how much he loves us and how faithful he is. Hosea was an Old Testament prophet, and God called him to marry a woman who bore him children but then was unfaithful to him and she ran out into the streets and she became a prostitute and destroyed her life so much she was eventually sold into slavery. And then God told his prophet, I want you to find where she is. I want you to pay the price to redeem her and bring her back and love her again. Because that's a picture of how I'm going to bring back the Jews to myself. Wow. Wow. Chapter 3, verse 1, then the Lord said to me, go, love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. You know, prophets were well known. It's not like people didn't know what was going on. Can you imagine the gossip? Have you heard about Hosea? Have you heard about Hosea, the prophet? Yeah, his wife left. She became a prostitute. And, and, and now he's looking for her again. Wow. 
Every time I read this chapter, my mind, my imagination starts to go, you know. He's, he's asking around, he's knocking on doors, have you seen my wife? Hosea, who hasn't seen your wife? She's a prostitute, you know that? She's a prostitute. Have you seen her? No, but I heard that Isaac, west of town, he had to buy her. She's a slave now. So this man with heavy steps and a bleeding heart, he, he goes down, he knocks on the door. Hosea, what are you doing here? I've come for my wife. I've come to redeem her. Hosea, you know how it goes. She's slave now. She belongs to me. Listen, she's no bargain. You, you want a wife? You want somebody to, to marry? You want, you want a slave? I got a slave for you. You don't want her. What's the price? What do I have to do to redeem her? Chapter, verse 2, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a leth like a barley. That's the barley. That's kind of like the common price for a slave at that time. Pays the price. And I imagine him walking out and she's working in the fields maybe and he, he looks at her and he starts to think about what it was like when they first got married and young and beautiful and now her face is drawn. She looks beaten down from years of sin and neglect. She sees him. Hosea, what are you doing here? I've come to bring you home. You're going to come home with me. I can't, Hosea. You don't, I've been sold as a slave. Isaac owns me now. No, I, I bought you back. I, I, I redeemed you. I'm going to bring you home. You're going to be my wife. Do you know what it says? In the book of Hosea, right after that scene, it says this. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. And then right after that, three predictions by Hosea. Let me read them to you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. There are very, three very important predictions there. Let me go over them with you. Hosea is predicting that Israel will go for a long time without a king or a prince. What's that talking about? Self-government. In 722 BC, the Assyrians plundered the northern kingdom of Israel, and the people were dispersed into Assyria, Egypt, and all the neighboring nations. 20 years later, the southern kingdom of Judah was overthrown by the Babylonians. And from that time on, all the way in human history to 1948, Israel had no self-government. They'll go for a long time without king or prince. Second prediction, that Israel will be without 
sacrifice or sacred stone. All of that is talking about the temple worship, the ephod, the stones that the high priest would wear, and somehow through it would understand God's will. It's talking about the temple worship, sacrifices. In 70 AD, Titus and his Roman army surrounded the city of Jerusalem, one of the most horrible sieges of of human, of the human history took place. Mothers ate their own children to keep from starving. The city fell. The temple was completely burned and destroyed right down to the ground. And since, since that time, 70 AD, all the way to today, Israel has had no temple, no sacrifice, no sacred stones. Third prediction says that Israel will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. That has yet to be fulfilled. But one day, one day, it'll occur during the time of the Antichrist, as I said. A new temple will be built somewhere. Somehow, a temple will be built in Jerusalem. Animal sacrifices will resume. And this world leader... At the three and a half year mark, the Bible's very clear on it, will demand that everybody worship him. You're going to have to take a mark on your right hand or your forehead in Revelation 13, which of course the Jews will not do. They won't worship the Antichrist, so he'll try and wipe them out. Jeremiah said it's going to be an awful time for the Jews. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 7, how awful that day will be, no other will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob but he will be saved out of it. God is not finished with the Jews yet. He's not finished with Israel. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. I'd like to leave you with three ideas this morning. First one is this. I want to remind you that God is holy. We dare not miss that truth in all of this. God is a faithful lover, yes, but he calls us to be faithful in return. Israel paid a high price for their waywardness and their idolatry and their lack of obedience. Number two, God keeps his promises even if we don't. That should encourage you. You read the New Testament. You read the entire scriptures. If you sense God, that promise is a clear promise to believers. He's going to keep it 100% of the time. Third, the completion of human history is totally in God's hands. Folks, this world is not sw it's spinning out of control. Everything, you know, uh, there's no such thing as a Lion King theology in Christianity. It's not circle of life. It's linear. Had a beginning, and we're moving towards an end of human history. And a new heaven, a new earth, an eternity. And the completion of human history, it's all going according to plan. God is allowing certain evil things to happen, He's, but somehow it works according to his, God, to his plan. Now, we just read a small glimpse of it, of what he's going to do with the Jewish people. He's revealed a lot more. But it's very clear that God has written the last chapter of history. And the good news... It's not just that we win in the end. More importantly, and really what we need to say, is not that we win in the end. It's really God's love 
and his purposes and his calling that wins in the end. Let's stand for closing prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are. You're faithless even though we're faithless. And not only as we watch your faithfulness to the Jewish people, we, we think of ourselves too as those who have been called out. The church means the called out ones. You've chosen us. And I pray, God, that gives us great security that even when we're faithless, even though we don't follow the way we should, you will always be faithful to us. And now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen.